So this morning, uh, we're going to continue on the series. And if you are new here, we've been uh, kind of looking at Jesus through the eyes of some different people. And to just kind of set up where uh, I'm going this morning, I want to tell you a story, and this will take me all the way back to when I was about 19 years old. I'd just become a Christian, and I was attending a church, and uh, had made a lot of new friends, and I liked this church, and I was kind of growing in my faith. And I remember one Sunday night, we had Sunday morning services, and we had Sunday night services. And one Sunday night, the preacher that night, he was talking all about forgiveness. And uh, it was a great message, and he talked all about the power of forgiveness, and how the Bible says, you know, Jesus has forgiven us, so we should forgive others. And I remember in the message, he said, some of you here need to actually go and ask people for forgiveness. You know, there are people here that your, your relationship is broken. You need to go to that person. You need to apologize or you need to ask them to forgive you. And uh, you need to do that tonight. So church got done and uh, I was getting ready to leave. And as I was going to leave, this, this guy who I kind of knew, I didn't know him that well, but uh, he, he pulled me aside. He's like, Dave, can I, can I talk to you real quick? I was like, yeah, absolutely. His name was Tony. And I said, sure, Tony, what's up? He goes, Dave, uh, I need to ask you to forgive me. I was like, oh, okay. What's up? He goes, well, just for the longest time, I've really hated you. And <laughs> he said, I don't know why. I don't know why it is, but for some reason, I've just never liked you. And tonight, during the message, I just felt guilty. So would you forgive me? And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess. So off went Tony, feeling great. Dave, on the other hand, <laughs> felt a little bit miserable because <laughs> I'm like, why, Tony? Why? A lot of people here like me. Why, why don't you like me? So, as you can tell, it's been 30 years since that happened. It's still haunting me why Tony didn't like me. But it's amazing because this morning we're going to look at Jesus through the eyes of a group of people who, for some reason, didn't like him. And here's the bizarre thing over the last few weeks, we've looked at Jesus through the eyes of his disciples. We learned that through the eyes of his disciples, they just had such admiration for Jesus because he saw something in them that they didn't see in themselves. We got to see Jesus through the eyes, and he spoke a few weeks ago, of a lady that was caught in adultery. And through her eyes, she got to see a man of mercy and grace and forgiveness. We got to look at Jesus through the eyes of Mary, his mother, who saw Jesus as this amazing, incredible man who was going to do wonderful things. And it just seems that everyone who encountered Jesus just seemed to have this incredible perspective on him, this wonderful view. Even if they were different, they were all positive, except for this group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. You know, today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is kind of a, um, a Sunday on the church calendar that we remember that it's the week before Easter. We're going to read what happens to Jesus on the day of Palm Sunday. It was a day of celebration. People were excited to see him. There was, there was cheering and excitement. But we're going to find out that even in the midst of all that excitement, even in the midst of that celebration of who Jesus was, there was a group of people who weren't happy to see him. We have four accounts of the life of Jesus. They're told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all give us a little bit of a different perspective on the life of Jesus. And we're going to look at Jesus this morning through the eyes of John as he entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. The passage is in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, and it goes like this. The next day, the great crowds that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which means praise him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. 
Jesus found a donkey and he sat on it as is written in the Old Testament. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to spread the word. So many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. Crowds of people lined the streets. So the Pharisees who were there said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And on this day of celebration, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, there is a group of religious leaders who are starting to turn inwards, and the beginnings of a plot is underway that didn't take long to put together, because just this Friday, today is the Sunday that we remember Palm Sunday, this Friday we'll be gathering at the Connect Center at 7 p.m. in a service that in many ways will, will have some sadness to it, because we'll be remembering where this plot that these Pharisees, these religious leaders led to, and that was the crucifixion of Jesus. But isn't it crazy how so many, through the eyes of so many, Jesus was this hero, this wonderful person, but through the eyes of the Pharisees, he was a problem. Here's Jesus coming into Jerusalem. I mean, it would have been like the, uh, the victory parade when the Cubs won the World Series. Do you remember that up in Chicago? They had that bus that went through millions of people, lines the streets, and that was kind of the atmosphere that day as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. But we're learning here that there was a group of religious leaders, a group of Pharisees who didn't like what they saw. So why? Why didn't they like Jesus? Well, I did some research for my message, and in preparing, I came across an article online uh, in something called Business Insider, and the title of the article was 15 Things You're Doing That Make People Dislike You Immediately. So I thought, well, maybe the answer's here. Maybe we need to dig into this a little bit and find out. So I'm not going to go through all 15, but I will share a couple of my favorites that I came across. Uh, so one of them was uh, sharing too many photos on Facebook, Okay. Instantly, people will dislike you. So uh, if you're not sure if that's you or not, here's a little clue. If you have a picture of your dog in its Halloween costume on your Facebook page, you may be sharing too many pictures. Uh, another thing that they said causes people to dislike you is humble bragging. Humble bragging, I'm not sure if you've heard this phrase before. Humble bragging is the, the person who, when they're in an interview, and the interviewer says, uh, tell me a weakness you have. Tell me something that, you know, is a, is a weakness in your life. And they say, well, sometimes I just work too hard. <laughs> or sometimes I can be a bit of a perfectionist. And you're kind of like, you're, you're humble, but you're bragging, okay? This was another one, offering a weak handshake, Okay, offering a weak handshake. I'm a big advocate of the firm handshake. I think uh, anytime you shake hands, it should be a good firm grip there. But uh, I will confess that even though I'm a big advocate of the firm handshake, living here in America is a challenge. Because you guys, you've got all these different things. You, I mean, just shake my hands. Don't this, this, you know, all the high fives, the fist bumps. Because I'm always the guy that's never 100% what to, sure what to do. And I always end up when it's a fist bump going for the high five and I do the whole ball and socket and I'm like, what is that? I've done it wrong. It's so, so let's just shake hands firmly. 
Here's another thing that was on the list, having a hard to pronounce name. Apparently, if your name is hard to pronounce, people will dislike you, which I think is kind of sad because poor Siobhan here, as I'm sure you all knew that was pronounced, uh, had no idea uh, that that was her name, that was what she would be named, and now people dislike her as a result. That's why I'm glad that I'm Dave Jane. Two words, one syllable each, Dave Jane. Nice and easy, so... There were other things on the list, too many Facebook friends, not enough Facebook friends, someone who name drops, which actually reminds me, don't ever tell you about the time that Colton Underwood seated me at the Brick House. It was awesome. But so I don't think, <laughs> I don't think any of these are probably the reason that the Pharisees had an issue with Jesus. So let's dig in here a little bit this morning. Let's read some, some passages from some different accounts of the life of Jesus. And we're going to start to see a bit of a pattern here as to what caused this problem between the Pharisees and Jesus. Why it was that such a wonderful person like Jesus, through the eyes of the Pharisees, could be seen as such a problem. So let's start out by looking at who the Pharisees even were. Who were the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees, they were the, they were the moral police of their day. They were a group of religious leaders who were tasked with upholding the law of Moses that had been around for a long, long time. Now this, in and of itself, this wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but they abused this position. They took advantage of their, their position of power and authority. You see, they were required to enforce all the laws of the Old Testament. So what they did was they did that and then they added more laws to it. They made it even harder. So, so not only were there these 10 commandments and then hundreds of other Old Testament laws put in place by Moses, but now the Pharisees were, were making up new ones. They were thinking of all these new different things just to, to make it harder and harder to people to, for people to, to follow the laws of God. And on top of that, they didn't even follow them themselves. They were hypocrites. Jesus called them out on this. He was talking about them. Uh, he was actually talking to a crowd of people about the Pharisees, and they were there listening, so he didn't hold back. Matthew tells this story in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 3. He says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, they're the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. He said, they're hypocrites. Now, not all of them were bad. Earlier on, John tells us about this, this secret encounter one night where a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, he, he visited Jesus because he really believed that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Messiah, but he knew as a Pharisee this was going to get him in trouble if other Pharisees knew of this meeting. So secretly, he met with Jesus. It was actually Nicodemus and another Pharisee, a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who were the ones who were responsible for helping find the tomb and getting Jesus into the tomb after he died. A guy by the name of Paul, who wrote a large chunk of the New Testament. He had an incredible encounter with Jesus, and it changed his life. But up till that point, he was a Pharisee, a devout Pharisee. So we see some of these Pharisees who, who had good in them and who had the potential to change. But the problem is that for the most part, this group of men, this group of religious leaders, this group of Pharisees were not a good group of people. So we're going to look at how they conflicted with Jesus, what it was that caused them to bump heads with Jesus. And what we're going to discover is that if we're not careful here this morning, we can actually drift into some Pharisee thinking. 
That's why I want to look at Jesus this morning through the eyes of the Pharisees, because if we're not careful, we may see some of those traits rising up in us. I think the main issue that they had with Jesus was this this issue of control versus freedom. Control versus freedom. This was the big deal, I think, between Jesus and the Pharisees. You see, they wanted to abuse their position of power. They wanted to control the people. But Jesus came to liberate the people, to set the people free. And because of that, he wasn't afraid to call them out on this this control mentality that they had. In Matthew 23, verse 4, Jesus again, talking about the Pharisees, says they crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. They were experts in the law and they used their knowledge and expertise to control and to crush the people. There was this list of things that you should do. There was another list of things that you you shouldn't do. And they worked very hard to to police both those lists and, and to control the people. It was hard work to follow all these rules and these commandments and to do everything they should do and and not do everything they shouldn't do. And this was very hard work for the people to do this. And the Pharisees, they enjoyed being able to keep people in line and and point out when they'd done wrong. I imagine the people had to be miserable with, with all of this pressure to try and do every single thing exactly the right way. I was thinking about what it must have been like to have lived in those times and be under those, those boundaries like that. And I went back to when I was younger and uh, I used to play video games, okay? Now, when I was a teenager, okay, if you wanted to play a video game, you actually had to go to the arcade. That was the only place that you could really play video games and there were these big machines and you put in your quarter or 10p in my situation, you know, and you could play uh, these video games, which is crazy because nowadays um, you can play better video games than I ever played on the phone that's in your pocket right now. It's just for free. Some of you are playing them right now. I see you out there. You're clashing your clans and pretending it's the Bible app, but I know what's going on. <laughs> so I grew up playing exciting titles like Asteroids and Space Invaders and Pac-Man. Those were the, the big games that I got to see with these, these cutting-edge graphics that you can see up on the screen there. And they were great video games that we got to play. But, but I remember this day came when I was younger and I went to the arcade one day and they had a brand new machine and this machine was called Dragon's Lair. Does anyone here remember Dragon's Lair, the arcade game? It was like, it was the cutting edge video game. It had these Hollywood style graphics. There was like a cartoon character that you got to control and it was just this amazing video game and I couldn't believe how impressive the, the, the graphics were and I put my 10p in and I played and, and I soon came to realize this was a different kind of video game. You didn't actually get to control what the guy was doing. Everything was predetermined. But he would get to these points, like he'd get to a drawbridge and then suddenly something would flash up and you'd have to quickly move the joystick in the direction it flashed. And then there would be a a sword would show up and it would flash and you had to really quickly press the button to grab the... And if you didn't, if you were too slow, you died. And you had to put your 10p in, you'd start all over again. So what I ended up doing was memorizing all the things. So I could play this game for a good five minutes and do every single move because I memorized everything that was coming next because it was always the same every single time. And I'm memorizing it and I'm doing all these things and, and then you get to that point and then you do one thing wrong and game over. I was like, ah, the most frustrating game to play. 
And I got thinking about what it must have been like to have lived in those times before Jesus, knowing that there was this list of rules and, and so many expectations and so many things that these people had to do. And, and all it took was doing one thing wrong, one mistake, and the Pharisees were there to catch them out, to point out their misdeeds. Then there would be a, a series of things that people would have to do, whether it was sacrifices or whatever it was, to, to, to make things right with God. And it was difficult. Up until this point, the, the religious law of the Old Testament, it was based in moralism. Do these right things. If you make one mistake, however small, you've blown it. And when that happens, you have to make things right with God. And, and the thing is, this was a system that God put in place for a good reason, a thousand years before, Israel was just forming. They, the, the Israelites had been um, rescued from Egypt, from slavery, and they were moving into the promised land. And for the very first time, they were becoming a people of their own. And God took this time through Moses to, to give the Israelites some guidelines. There were the Ten Commandments. Then there were some other laws that they learned along the way. And, and all these laws were to help the Israelites because their nation was forming. And God wants them to, to stand out from the other nations. They were, they were moving into a place where there were other nations that worshipped idols and sacrificed children and, and did some horrible things. So a lot of these laws were to help Israel become this, this generation, this group of people that would stand out from others. And in following these rules and these regulations, these guidelines, the Israelites prospered. And their nation grew, and it was a great system to put into place. But, but God knew from the beginning this wasn't an ideal system for long term. Because he knew there was so much work required out of it, so much effort on the part of the people, and they would always end up falling short. So his plan was always to send Jesus. To send Jesus as that final sacrifice once and for all, so that through him we could be made right with God instead of through our good behavior or through our avoidance of bad behavior. In fact, after Jesus himself had, had died and risen again, and Paul now was one of these very first Christians who was building the church, he was writing to a group of um, Christ followers in Ephesus, and he explains um, the context of what the death and resurrection of Jesus meant in light of the, the law and the rules of the Old Testament. He said in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it's by grace you've been saved. Jesus' death means that you can be saved by grace through faith, just trusting in him. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. So when Jesus came, this was great news for the people, but it was bad news for the Pharisees. Because his liberation of the people, it meant one thing for the Pharisees, that they would lose their control. They would lose their power. They wanted to control. Jesus wanted to set people free. John 8 verses 31 and 32 says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because Jesus was here to bring us freedom. That's why the Pharisees didn't like him. That's why they, through the eyes of the Pharisees, they disliked Jesus. Because they wanted to control. 
tie the people to the rules and the regulations. Jesus was here to set people free. And do you know what the craziest thing is here this morning? We can look at this, we can look at the Pharisees and we can think, oh man, that must have been such a struggle 2,000 years ago between those religious leaders and Jesus, between control and freedom. I'm glad it's not like that today. I'm glad Jesus set us free and we're no longer controlled. But is that the case? Or is there still a little bit of Pharisee left in the world today? Maybe you grew up in a church tradition here this morning where there were a a set of expectations and rules and if you didn't follow them, you could actually get in trouble. Maybe some of them weren't even in the Bible. I didn't grow up here in church in America, so I don't know this, but I have a friend who's about my age and he'll tell stories about when he was young, when he was, uh, you know, kind of uh, under the age of 11, how he wasn't allowed to wear shorts to church, even as a kid. How when he became a teenager, he used to sneak out on a Sunday afternoon to his friend's house to play basketball because if it was ever found out at church that he played basketball on a Sunday, he'd be in so much trouble. Maybe there was something like that happened to you and it's affected your view of church. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and the person who's given you the hardest time right now for the things that you do wrong and the things that you should be doing right is you. You're the one beating yourself up. You come to church and you serve and you give because there's something in you that feels guilty if you don't. Do you know where all that comes from? The same place that fueled the fire of those Pharisees. Because that was their way of enforcing religion. Palm Sunday, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for what would end up being a one-way journey. He knew as the crowds were cheering that very shortly the crowds would be cheering another thing. They'd be cheering crucify him that he would have to give up his life, but he was willing to do that. He was willing to face a cruel and horrible death all in order to set us free. That's why Jesus died, to set us free. He went against the Pharisees. So why would we want to turn around and, and climb back into the chains of bondage? He came to liberate us from this control, from these rules and all these regulations. And let me just clarify something here this morning, because maybe you're sitting here and you're getting a little bit uncomfortable and you're thinking, well, wait, 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 so you're saying I should stop doing things right and it doesn't matter if I do things wrong? Well, of course not. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that Jesus' death and resurrection, it took away the consequences of those actions or inactions because you and I are never going to be good enough. We're never going to be able to do enough right things or not do enough wrong things. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, maybe you're, you're not there yet, you're still kind of thinking about this, you've come for a while now at the invitation of some friends or family members and you've heard us talk about uh, followers of Jesus, you've heard us talk about, uh, actually followers of Jesus is what we would use here for the terminology Christian and some of you will be familiar with the word Christian. Uh, we choose to use that word follower of Jesus just because we feel like Christian can be a very easy kind of badge to put on. I'm a Christian because I'm American and I grew up in this town so I must be a Christian. You know, it, it can be very easy just to kind of, whereas a 
follower of Jesus, there's a little bit more action uh, behind that phrase. When, when, when we say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, it means I'm actually, I'm, I'm living my life to follow after Jesus. I want to live like him. So, so if you're here this morning wondering what it means to be a follower of Jesus, let me tell you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus this morning, Christians this morning, it simply means that we've got to that point of recognizing that we just cannot do it by ourselves. We'll never be good enough. So we've actually asked Jesus to forgive us for the wrong things that we've done, and we've accepted that he took our place and became that sacrifice for us when he died on the cross, and now we want to follow him because of what he did for us. We've also come to understand that following the rules doesn't keep you in the love of God any more than it got you into the love of God in the first place. So why follow the rules? Why continue to try and do the things that the Bible teaches us to do? Why continue to try and avoid the things that the Bible warns us against? Because following the rules is a response to the love of God. When we realize how much he loved us and what he was willing to do for us, we want to do what is right. We understand his love and it motivates us to live our lives in following him. And if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, this is why it's so important that you understand this and you grasp this and you don't get caught up into that, that Pharisee mentality of, of trying to do everything right because we have to and because when we fully understand what Jesus did for us, it takes us away from, from saying, look at how good I am. You know, if we could do it, if we could work hard enough, if we could do everything right in our own strength, we could stand and say, look at how good I am. But the reality is what we can say is, look at how good he is. As followers of Jesus, we don't stand and say, look at how good I am. We say, look at how good he is. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, I could never do this. And because I love him so much, because I recognize the great price that he was willing to pay for me, I want to live my life for him. I want to do what's right. I want to strive to do what's right. And this is why Jesus and the Pharisees clashed so much. Because they wanted people to see how good they were. How well they did. Even in their hypocrisy of following the rules. Listen to how he describes them in Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 through 7. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. They wear robes with extra long tassels. They love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. It was all externally focused for the Pharisees. And that's why Jesus was such a problem for them, because he focused on the internal. With Jesus and the Pharisees, it was, it was control versus freedom. It was external versus internal. And that whole idea of how I look on the outside being more important than what it's like on the inside. I when I first came to America in 1994, um, we did a trip to Boston. So we'd only been here a few months. We got to go to Boston. And, and back in the 90s, I was super excited about going to Boston because I think if it hadn't just ended, it was about to end. But there was a show on TV called Cheers. And I knew that the Cheers bar was in Boston. 
So we had a free day and everyone wants to go sightseeing and see all the Boston stuff. And I just wanted to go to the Cheers bar because <laughs> I was super excited because I remember watching that show on TV. And if you've ever been there, it's the actual place. Like you get there and uh, I think we've got a picture of it. We've got that picture of the Cheers bar. There it is. And I stood outside and I'm like, this is it. This is like the, the bar from the opening credits. And I was so excited that I was stood outside. I grew up, I loved watching this show. So I went inside and I opened the door it was nothing like the bar on TV. <laughs> they literally used this shot, okay, for the show, and then everything else was filmed on a set somewhere else. I was so disappointed. I was, I was going to walk in. I was going to shout Norm. I was just really excited about coming into the Cheers bar. And it was like, it's just like any other bar I'd ever been to. Jesus called out the Pharisees because on the outside, they looked like they had it all together. But on the inside, it was a disappointment. And he was graphic when he, when, he, when he described them in front of the crowds. He said in Matthew 23, 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. He chastised them for going to such extremes to try and say, look at how good we are. Whereas this morning, we can sit here as followers of Jesus and say, look at how good he is. I stand here this morning speaking because of what Jesus did for me. I'm not worthy, but because of what Jesus did for me, I can stand in his presence. So I want to challenge you as we close out this morning, not to, to get caught up in that, that Pharisee thinking that we have to try to be good enough, that we have to do enough things right. And hopefully if we do, then maybe, just maybe God will love us. Jesus came to set us free from that. Do you know one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is in Matthew. It's talking about when Jesus was baptized and uh, he's baptized and he comes up out of the water and it says in Matthew 3, 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved, my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Did you know at that point, Jesus hadn't done anything? He hadn't done a single miracle. He hadn't done any teaching. He hadn't done, done a single thing. So before Jesus had done anything, God said, this is my beloved son. He gives me such joy. He's saying the same thing about you this morning. Nothing to do with what you've done, what you haven't done. He just looks at you with love this morning. A million miles away from that Pharisee thinking, he says, look at my beloved son, look at my beloved daughter. They bring me such joy. So much joy that I'll send my one and only son to die in their place. Because they'll never be good enough. They'll never do enough things right. So I'll bridge that gap. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we are so grateful this morning for the great lengths at which you are willing to go to set us free, to liberate us this morning. We see when Jesus came and lived on this earth, the, the confrontation he had with the religious leaders and the Pharisees because they were trying to keep people tied to an old way of thinking, an old religious system that just wasn't working. People would never be good enough. So God, because you loved us so much, you sent Jesus to come and, and change the system completely to set us free. And even though that happens 2,000 years ago and we celebrate that, Lord, the truth is that we can so easily fall back into that way of thinking, that Pharisee way of thinking. 
that we have to work hard. We, we have to do everything in our own strength. If we fall short, we'll fall out of your favor and we have to do these things to earn your love. But God, you love us so much. So now, Father, we choose to live for you because you loved us, not to try and earn your love. Help us to keep away from that Pharisee thinking and to understand the, the great freedom we have to live in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.